Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 182 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment, I'll be exploring the vast musical universe of Dan Melkier, who has been actively making music for over 20 years now. Probably for many listeners of this show, Melkier needs little introduction. Emerging from the late 90s garage rock scene in the UK while recording with the likes of Billy Childish and Holly Golightly, and later relocating to the United States in 2000, Melkier has gone on to produce a wide-ranging body of work, both as a solo artist and in various collaborations and groups, that has found him moving from raw garage rock into deconstructed blues and folk and further outward into more avant-garde sound works and beyond. Melkier's prolific output spills over into visual art where he has produced countless paintings, collages, and drawings over the years too. And more recently, Melkier has ventured into podcasting, starting an entertaining new radio-style program called Quality Street that features music selections that are even more genre-hopping than his own back catalog. Taken as a whole, Melkier's creative output could easily be the subject of a multi-part feature series, but I'm going to try to cover as much ground as possible over the next two hours. I was fortunate to speak with Dan this past week, and we discussed various aspects of his music making over the years, including some of his more recent activities, venturing into this form of virtual busking that he's been doing during these months of lockdown. Prior to this show, we put out an open call for song requests for Dan to perform on this episode for a small donation. And Dan went ahead and recorded proper versions of these requested songs, putting his own personal stamp on each one. So in addition to hearing my interview with Dan throughout this episode, you'll also hear tracks from several of his releases from his back catalog. And later in the show, you'll also get to hear those requested cover versions that Dan recorded. Before we get to all that, I'm going to play just a few songs from one of Dan's earliest bands, The Broke Review, starting with the track Jump Around the Line from the album Old Time Future Shock that came out in 2000.
Well, I guess since I came to your music a bit later, I want to say it was maybe 2006, 2008, somewhere in that range, I guess, you know, after you had been releasing music for almost, you know, a good decade at that point. I was wondering if you could just kind of take me back and walk me through kind of the you know, the background or the timeline of the music that you were making kind of in the late 90s with Billy Childish, Holly Golightly, and then I guess where kind of the formation of your kind of first bigger band, the the Broke Review, where that kind of took shape. And I was wondering if some of those things were happened concurrently then at that time. Yeah, they they were, yeah, because, um, um you know, I've been doing music for quite a long time, but uh, not, not really getting anywhere with it because I've you know, I, I didn't even have any concept about how you would do that, really. So, um, one time I was playing a gig in London, and this guy just said to me, um, "Oh, you should send your uh, your stuff to Billy Childish." So all that happened was I sent a tape to him, and he said he wanted to do a single. So the first time I ever went and visited his house was when I was recording the other side of this single on a like boombox <laughs> at his. House. And Holly Go Lightly came around that day, and then you know I didn't really do much with Billy Billy Childish really, but with Holly I ended up playing with her for quite a while, you know. Right. And that's when I first came over here and everything, like on tour, you know. So that was a yeah. I'm not not sure I would have uh, that would have ever happened otherwise if I wasn't playing with her really. Mm-hmm. And where where did the broke review come out of that? Because that that started when you were over in the UK, correct? Yeah, it did, because I, I went to, back to art college when I was um, a bit older, you know. I, I'd been out of there for years, and I went back to art college, and I just met this this guy there called Bruno, and we started playing music together, and we were just much more, we had much more, we were more interested in other types of music, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like, he was very into reggae and, and, like, dub reggae and stuff, and I was I always was into hip-hop when I was younger and stuff. And, and so, you know, like, the people... They were on that scene with the, you know, Holly and Billy and all that were very, it's very, very narrow uh, musically, like what they like, you know. So, um, yeah, we, we, we just brought different values to it, you know, production values even, just, just the way the thing sounded was much more intense, you know, and uh, just not, not trying to do a reenactment of the past, you know. Right, right. You mentioned going off to art school where... Were you, I mean, because I know you're still actively creating art yeah. and painting and doing all of that. Was that more of a primary interest for you early on? Like, when did you pick up the guitar and start playing? Was that yeah, a bit later? You know, yeah, I was like, I did art, you know. That was when I was a kid. That was the thing. It was like, oh, you're, you know, you're good at art. That's what you're going to do. You're going to be an artist because I just was quite naturally good at it. But um, then I've worked at trying to be bad at it ever since. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, then I... um. I didn't start playing the guitar till I was about, um, I don't know, 18 or something like that. My father had an acoustic guitar around the house, and I just started trying to play it, and um, that was when I first started playing the guitar, yeah, and that was never, n- not very popular around my house, me playing the guitar, mm-hmm. so, uh, but, you know, I just kept doing it anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it the, like, kind of, were you gravitating towards, like, a lot of that early blues stuff quite early on when you were playing the guitar? Um, yeah, not right, very at first. Like, the first thing I ever learned to play on the guitar was, and it wasn't, you know, it was just the notes, but I learned yeah. to play ESP by the Buzzcocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah. of like the guitar lead bit, you know, it's like three notes. So yeah. that was like, but then, yeah, when I got to be about, I don't know, 
21 or 22 or something like that and I just started getting really really into like old old blues and I was pretty obsessed with it mm -hmm. for a number of years and that was mainly the things I would listen to but still I didn't I don't know I still wasn't like a purist about it right, you know? right. I wasn't really had this different idea so when I heard things like from America like the Gibson brothers or something you know that made quite a lot of sense to me because it was not very purist it was a lot more um you know it was bolting other things onto the or Tav Falco you know yeah just things like that, you know, whereas that English scene that I, I was involved in, that was never really, that was a very different way of looking at things and what I was, how I looked at things, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was going to kind of ask you about that. But first, you know, when you you came here to, to the United States, it was around 2000, right? Is that roughly the time? That's why I moved. I think I moved in 1999, but uh, no, no, you're right. I did. Yeah, it was after 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay. Well, was that tough yeah. to, I mean, you said you'd done the tour with Holly Golightly and stuff like that, but was that tough to kind of pick up and get involved in some of the music that was happening here? Or did you feel like you had more connections here in the United States? Yeah, I mean, that? I did have more connections because, you know, like, in all honesty, it was, I mean, that was part of why I moved. I mean, the main part of it was to, to move and be with uh, Lisa, but, you know, also I felt it was much better for me musically because, you know, you would play a show in New York and you'd be able to talk to people about music, you know, like, I mean, which, you know, it just wasn't a thing in, in London. It would be like, I don't know, like the kind of things I liked, there was no, there was no crossover, you know, there was no, there was nobody who liked old dirty bastard and, you know, like skip James, you know, there was, it was just, it was just very, very, um, uh, I don't know how you explain it. It's just very partitioned, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't really like that. So when I got here, yeah, I, was, I thought it was far preferable musical atmosphere and climate, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, I guess you kind of hit on that question because you always have kind of pushed back against that idea of garage rock, that sort of puritanical right. view. And yeah, yeah. Do, do you feel like, I, I would think at this stage, how long you've been involved into it, do you feel like finally you've shed that uh, tag? Or does it feel well, like... Well, yeah. In other people's minds, I probably only have, but I feel like I, it was never really a thing for me. Probably about the first five years I got here, you know, I would be kind of like quite puzzled as to why people kept going on about it, really, because mm -hmm. I just felt like, um, you know, it was um, there were so many other things happening in, in our music, I thought. I mean, it was more a case of how it was delivered or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I liked 60s music when I was growing, you know, and I'd hear things from the 60s. I like the sounds, I like the drum sounds, and I like the guitar sounds and things. So, you know, that was sort of the influence, but as far as, like, a subject matter or, you know, or, like, dressing up in a sort of, like, reenactment of... It's like being a Civil War reenactor, you know, like <laughs> right. these people, you know, with their Brian Jones haircut and all that stuff. You know, and it just... It, uh, it was just very purist, and I didn't, I didn't get it at all, but... Um, yeah, I don't think people do see me that way anymore, thank God, right. finally. Some people do. I think yeah. I have separate audiences. I think some yeah. people like, some people like, um, you know, the more experimental things I do, and they're probably not that aware of the other stuff I do. They know it exists, but they wouldn't listen to it. It's not the kind of thing they like, probably. Yeah. And the other people, you know, would not like that stuff at all. Then you've got, you've got a small group of people who will listen to it all just because it's me. Yeah, but like not many, you know. I don't think it's a kind of a, right. It's not as, far as a, a, a career goes. It's probably not a very good career path. You know, <laughs> but you know, that's not something that you're pondering uh, monthly. No. You're like, what's my next career move? 
Well, if there was a lot of money in it, I might do, you know. I mean, that's the thing. If I'd ever, if I, if I'd ever got really successful at something and there'd been a huge push to make me keep doing it over and over again, yeah. then I suppose I, I would probably have had to do it if it really meant I would make money. But as I've never been really successful, it's not really a question, you know. I just say, all right, well, I might as well, you know, it seems like whatever I do, it's about as, about as popular as <laughs> the other. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, it's a lot, in some ways it's like a luxury, really. Yeah, you can just get on with it, do what you're going to do. Yeah, I like it, you know. I mean, I do, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of um, just going back to, like, that broke review stuff, it said, and I'm quoting here what I gleaned from Discogs, but... You know, it was after a record label battle that your band broke up in 2004. And mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know, was it the dissolution of that band and being kind of done with the band thing that made you move into like Undas Menace, which was, if I'm correct, wasn't that, I mean, that was primarily a solo project, really. Uh, but maybe you pieced yeah. together some people to play some live shows here and there. Is that yeah, how exactly. that's, that's how that started, right? No, that's, yeah, that's what it was because it was, the idea was I kind of wanted to be Dan Melchior and Dan Melchior. <laughs> so the, 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 Daz Menace sounded quite a lot like Dan Melchior. Like, yeah. Uh, that was just, it was almost like a, you know, in joke that that was, it was me and me. So, um, yeah, it was, it was all me. Like I didn't, um, there was maybe few, th- three or four things that came out with that name on that involved anyone else. And that was mainly probably Lisa. Right, right. And like occasionally, when you would play out, she would play with yeah. you. You need to have someone like doing like synthesizers and stuff like that, right? She would play. No, we never really like it. Was never fleshed out. Like I would play with these two guys, Scott and Brandon. That was probably the people I played with most under the name Daz Menace, and um, and that was always just guitar, drums, and bass. So okay, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, more of a bait. Yeah, yeah. In terms of that broke review thing, not that I want to be like gossipy because that's just you know yeah. I don't but whatever. But like, was part of the 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 label thing? Was that just all centered around that whole O Clouds Unfold thing, or was there something else? Yeah, behind? it was. Yeah, yeah. There was a. I mean, um, we took all this time doing it. Um, you know, I just went on. I went on this one tour, and it was. Um, you know, the only time I've ever really been on a long tour, it was like, I don't know, maybe seven weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just hated it. It was absolutely brutal. Um, went out with some bands that was I felt like we were very mismatched with, and it was very, very hard to be on this tour. It was mm-hmm. like, I just, it was like torturous, really. And, um, and I just decided when I got back from that, well, I want to do something very different here. I want to like pretty much um, make it clear, you know, that we're trying to do something different now. And, you know, I think... For me, it's a little bit, tried a little bit too hard. Like when I listen to that stuff now, I find it a little bit, it's slightly cringeworthy to me because it, it, it seems like it's trying a little bit too hard. But yeah, we started doing it and then um, the guy in the band was really determined we weren't going to do it within the red, you know. So um, we started working with, got involved with that record label Trouble Man. And that turned out to be a very, uh, you know, appropriate name for that record label. <laughs> You know, they just got it mastered, and um, I don't know what happened. Something went wrong, like it got mastered off this CD with gaps in it, and I just got the record, and it had, you know, like literally like breaks between all the songs, like just the, you know, like but just cutting arbitrarily. Yeah. You know, like because it was a continuous piece, and mm-hmm. there'd just be a break, and then it would come back. And I just said, you know, well, obviously we can't, can't have a record come out from this. Right. Yeah. You know, and he just went absolutely like nuts basically over it. So um. So it just it just got stuck. It didn't come out, and then well, he paid us money, so he wasn't really he couldn't really just give it to someone else. 
but then no one else was like wanted to pay money to take it away so like it just yeah it was the end of that um, right right really and i moved from new york like a couple few years later so yeah it just felt like a good time obviously to move on from that whole situation yeah yeah. I mean, yeah i didn't i mean you know it wasn't to be honest with you it wasn't for me it wasn't really um i mean it was it was it was hard like some personal things were like hard but like as far as musically i, I didn't really wasn't particularly attached to the whole thing anyway you know mm-hmm. I, and i certainly wasn't attached i didn't like living in new york at all so i was um me and Lita just started planning to move down here mm-hmm. and um we had to like just take a bit of time getting the money together but i was very happy to um you know right. get out that, that sort of hot house atmosphere you know mm-hmm. and you're back in durham now right uh, well, I live in Carborough, just down the road, oh, but yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's become sort of your, I know you've moved around a little bit, but that's sort of your, that's your home now. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I do particularly like Durham, but yeah, I'm pretty close to it. I just, you know, I like the, just, I just like it here, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, you know, given how much material you were recording and, and how you were moving between variety of styles, did it, did it become more satisfying for you at just, to go alone and, and work on recording and then just like I think you've already alluded to this but just leave behind bands and just be like focus on the music that you wanted to make yeah I mean like probably the most active time I ever had which was it was really um, good is when me and Letha had a place in Durham um, we had the house and um, I would work at this restaurant in the day and I just used to go there you know it's like mindless work so you're just running walking around giving people food and stuff so I just I would write lyrics you know just in pieces on pieces of paper all the day long all day long and then I'd get home and I'd pretty much record a song a day really I yeah. mean you know not all of them were good but like obviously but um, you know a fair amount of them ended up on things like Thank You Very Much Christmas for the all those records you know, those early Daz Menace records. And um, it was just like, I suppose it was a way of keeping sane, really, while you're doing this job. But, like, you know, it, it was a pretty, you know, I got into the habit then of, like, it's like first thought, best thought type way of doing things. Right. Like, where you just put something down. Like, I, I, for instance, I don't really ever, I don't tune all my guitars or do anything like that. So there'll be a lot of things around the house that are all out of tune with each other. And um, trying to play along with it, you know, you, you have to find a way of doing it that's, interesting so there's sort of like this this wrongness about it which i really like you know i like things that are slightly off and you know off off kilter and not just like you know uh they just have this interesting tonality to them you know when things are a little bit off and, mm-hmm. and that. so like i started doing that back then and it would be pretty much just you go through you know i play a beat loop the beat play the thing you know just everything one after another and then bounce it out and it was just this you know that approach to recording yeah, yeah, and that turns out to have been that's something I really like, you know. Yeah, I don't really, yeah, yeah, I don't really like to, um, you know, the idea of like trying to get something perfect or trying to get something that's like, you know, I don't know, it's it's not, not doesn't really mean anything to me, you know. Right, and it, there's still you can still maintain that sense of spontaneity, that like yeah. the directness to it. Yeah, I, I just think it's like you. It's just like the idea of, you know, like you say, being in a band, it's just, there's no way to do that because you have to, you know, like I suppose if you, if you obviously if you're playing jazz or improv, improvisational music, you could do that because, you know, like you would just get in the room and say, okay, I've got, you know, just start playing and people fall in with you. But if you're going to have a song and it's going to have these parts, you know, which is also another reason why I don't really play, I tend to play things that are just 
don't have many changes in them because mm-hmm. you just don't want things to be if everything just becomes like this kind of like dance routine you know everyone's got to hit everything on this mark yeah. and do this it's, it's, for me that's not a creative feeling or a open feeling it just feels very constricted and like there's all these things all these mistakes can happen that will be you know not enjoyable to be involved in you know I, I, I like to play music where there's no you know it's just there's no such thing as a mistake you know <laughs> yeah yeah well, you I'm... know like yeah. Well, I'm going to play something here for this first block from uh, your album, Thank You Very Much, which you just mentioned. Kind of one of the earlier, you know, double LPs that you put out. Yeah. And I will say that I've played this song multiple times when I've DJed out in the public, and I always get a kick out of it because playing a song called Oh Anxiety to a group of people, you know, that are drinking or what have you, always kind of, uh, you know, it pleases me a little bit. But (laughs) does some of this come out of uh, this song, if you can think back uh, to when you penned this one or recorded this one, does this come out of your restaurant experience thinking, oh, man? (laughs) Well, yeah, I do have, I've I've had anxiety issues my whole life. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, yeah. Yes, it does. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So here it is, Dan Melkier and Undas Menes with O Anxiety. Got the nuts in my guts and the angst in my head My guts and the angst in my pants
the knots in my guts and the angst in my pants. <laughs>
The skyline is decrepit and uncounted insubstantial It keeps dead batteries, labels them with question marks The trams are full of criminals with tattooed bottom lips Skyline is decrepit, unkempt and insubstantial. Take the train there with a feeling of great dread. He rode a city sports car and talked about Phil Collins. The trams were full of criminals with tattooed bottom lips. I used to take the train there with a sense of great dread.
So to wrap up that last uh, set of music, I, I played an excerpt from your tape called Radom Melchior Melchior Radom. That was, you know, a split with your late wife, Letha, and which I believed was kind of one of the first things that I heard of yours that really kind of fell outside of more of that blues-based or even kind of deconstructed blues and rock that you've been doing, mm-hmm. you know, in the years prior to that. So I was just wondering if the, the sound collage type work if that was spurred on by Letha, because I know she was doing more of that at the time. Was that kind of a, just the way that tape was, was there a little bit of back and forth between you two in terms of that style or that approach? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as I remember it, um, and I, I sometimes wonder about this, but I, I do think the, the the thing that really got that ball rolling was uh, Graham Lankin, uh, Shannon Rum. Mm-hmm. So I heard that and I was, very impressed by it you know and i've heard things slightly like that before but i never really connected with it whereas i really connected with this and i played it to letha and she was also very very impressed with it. so it basically happened at the same time but she went further down into it than i did because she bought like a, a a digital recorder and went around recording everything i mean we would go out in somewhere she would just stand recording the doors in the supermarket for ages and um you know just all that kind of yeah so like it was a we sort of came across it at the same time, but I think she went a lot further into that than I did at first, for certain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interestingly, because you, you did end up, you know, you've worked with Graham uh, in the years after that, and in fact put out a couple of records on Kai, yeah. his label, which I think that was probably, you know, especially that first one, the Half Speeds one, probably was the thing that caught a lot of people's attention. Like, whoa, you know, this is somebody working well outside of what yeah. they're known for. And I guess, right. how did you kind of strike up a friendship with Graham through just, you know, Sam and Run and things after that? Or did you yeah, reach out to... Was... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. No, uh, just wondering if you were starting to, as you were working on some of those recordings, sending things off to him uh, for consideration for his yeah. label. Um, I, I, I was really, you know, I was very... I still am very into the shadow ring too so um i think like tom lax I, I i got a copy of some shadow ring record off him mm-hmm. i don't remember I, it's like anyway and uh, i think he must have sent i think he sent assemblage blues to graham lampkin and then he wrote to me and said oh that you know i like that mm-hmm. and i was you know pretty excited because that's someone i really admired so mm-hmm. And then the idea came about, I don't know if it was me pushing it or it seemed just to happen where I sent him, I started sending him stuff and, and he, he basically put together that excerpts record. Okay. He, you know, I sent him stuff and he's the one who um, sequenced it. Right. You know, because he's so good at that. So, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, and I was very, very, very happy with that, the way it came out, you know. Right. And, for, and it was yeah, it was very nice to think like oh, finally I, I don't know how someone's going to call this garage rock. I was I was trying to work out how they were going to do it, right. you know, 
They probably still said Avant Garage or something. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really care about that. <laughs> Your beer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, as you've continued to to create, you know, a large amount of work over the years, do you find that you need to sort of fluctuate back and forth uh, and explore these different styles of maybe sound collage and and more sound-based work to kind of keep yourself interested? I mean, you talked a moment ago about just the spontaneity of recording like that. So I was wondering Mm -hmm. if if, if you're somebody that gets... uh, bored easily like you need to kind of do one thing to fuel your interest in the other thing and if there's a little bit of back and forth with that yeah definitely that's exactly yeah that's right i mean i i you know you'll do something artistic you know like visual art and it'll you know kick up ideas about something else you know musically you know and i I don't just um i mean a lot of what i like really what as far as records I listen to and things and the kind of music I like, you know, I, I, I listen to quite a lot of, um, you know, pretty, I don't know what you'd call it, but kind of damaged or sort of, you know, either sort of like unintentionally damaged type music or something where someone's purposefully going for some effect, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I just like things that are kind of out, like off and out of balance. I'm not really interested in, you know, so I'm sort of like pushing for that and it's like pushing for mistakes when you're painting, you know, you don't, I mean, you've you got to be very careful because if you do it in a too much of a self-conscious way, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like if you, if you just sort of allow things to happen and then you almost like compile the accidents or, or like, you know, like you, you just sort of pile them up, you'll just get very interesting things that would not have come around, come about through thinking about it in a very linear way. Like it right. just, it, something very different happens, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that's what I go for. But, you know, it's not it's not an easy thing. I mean, it, it'll just come about when it comes about, you know, and um, and it can't almost, that's almost like what leads you down this path or the other path, you know. Right. It's just right. these sort of accidents and these things happening, you know, they're just fortuitous or whatever, you know. Right. And, is, yeah. is, is picking up a guitar and kind of finding your way through kind of your go-to though i mean do you feel like your guitar is like your central go-to instrument as kind of your no base? not always no like i think it's something you kind of want to avoid if you're doing certain things mm-hmm. because it just doesn't you know it's like i i mean like a while back i had this thing where i did a few records and they, you probably might have seen them they all had the grays in the title yes and that's because i came up with a guitar tuning that was so difficult to make interest like acceptable sounds in because <laughs> i i just needed something because i don't you know you just you just know what you're going to do it's really bad when you pick up this guitar and you right. just go bling, bling, and you just immediately fall into this pattern of i can do this i can do that i know how to do it so i had to like try and strip that out and make it harder to play and more difficult and a lot of those things on the odes to the, the tape that came out they're like that as well it's the guitar is not tuned in a regular way right so it just hems you in so you can't just go messing you can't just go off on these tangents of like improvising because sometimes you just i don't know you wonder why you're doing that you're doing it because you can Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and it's not particularly because you want to or you think it sounds good you're just doing it because you can yeah so like you know sometimes having real limits is really good like having like a trying to make a record on like a thumb piano or a ukulele or something can be really good you know yeah yeah and i think that is definitely something with the blues in yeah. general too because the blues is such a there's such a structure there's so many like right. like go-to right. chords and phrasings that yeah, people use yeah. where like yeah, yeah you can get stuck in that pattern 
for sure. And that's what's so great about it too, in a way, though, because it, it's it, it's limitations are what make it so open to. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. someone like you know, you think about some Captain Beefheart record. You know, really, I mean, Trap Moss Replica is not, you know, I mean, obviously it's not standard blues, but it has many of the aspects mm-hmm. of blues involved in it. And that, and that's just someone, you know, taking that concept and, and working with it in, like, to the, to its furthest reaches, you know. Right. And it's pretty amazing what you can do with it, you know. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you expressed earlier about just how you were really not that fond of touring, you know, that you kind of prefer to do touring just in like short bursts and things like that. I remember reading that in other interviews and you were just talking about that like that lengthy one that you went on just about did you in. But I'm yeah. wondering, you know, in this past year with with live performances really not being an option, I mean, has that given you a bit of an itch to get back out and perform again? Do you have a desire uh, to do that? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it's almost like almost just, just it's not the audience bit that's so important. It's the bit of... um just playing mm-hmm. I would like to play with some other people right now and I would like to uh, plug a guitar in and hear it really loud that would be quite nice <laughs> yeah. just, just those things you know just just having someone to bounce off you know the guys that I play with around here I would like to play with them you know so yeah. as far as like I mean I, I, it would be good to go on some sort of short tour as well you know mm-hmm. but there's people I haven't seen for ages because I mainly that's when I get to see them so you know yeah I'm, I'm, you know yeah, well, has, I mean, has this this past year, I mean, has it been a, for lack of a better word, like a fruitful period for you where you've been able to produce and record a lot? Or has it been, have you found it to be sort of creatively stifling without, you know, just being able to go out and do some of those live pieces and things like that? No, it's definitely been uh, good creatively. But um, it, the only thing that's like not so good about it has been that um, the things have slowed down a great deal from the production state you know the other end of things like i've done i've done stuff i mean i've recorded stuff that i've it's probably the longest i've ever had the gap between recording something and it coming out on a record so oh yes yeah you know that that's like a very and that's a strange feeling because someone like me i kind of that part of it's quite important to me like i do it it comes out then the next thing happens and and then when that's like sort of frozen there it's quite interesting because it kind of i mean it doesn't make you uh, it just feels like it's unfulfilling, you know, yeah. just to have done music and having it sitting there and not, you know, having any kind of connection with people. Right. But I like, I mean, that's why I do it because I like communicating with people, you know, and when mm-hmm. it doesn't come out, I like, I don't know. So do you have a few records that are kind of uh, hung up in uh, yeah. pressing plant yeah. purgatory right now? Yeah, I do, yeah. I've got, um, yeah, one on um, Feeding Tubes, Sophomore Lounge, which is like songs. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like songs being played. Uh, and I've got a Lloyd Pack LP that's coming out on Low Company in England. And I got these demos I did for a um, tour I went on in Australia that were pretty, that came out really interesting. Mm-hmm. They're coming out on my friend's label to um, Midnight Cruiser. And then also my friend Tony is putting out a collaboration we did together, which is much more at the other end of like, uh, more like the, uh, lot of things i like listening to it's almost i wouldn't say prog but it's like it's uh, it's just guitar and synthesizer improvisation so okay and all those people come out in the next i don't know year and a half or something yeah yeah i mean it's daunting i know i put in a record uh to be pressed on the label i'll i'd be surprised if it will be out before the end of the year even i mean yeah 
So yeah, it is. It makes it really tough to plan and coordinate yeah. anything knowing that. Yeah, I mean, it just I, I figure it just always they always end up happening at the same time. There's no way of avoiding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other day I got two chest pressing on the same day, and these are things that were given out that like were done seven months apart. So it's like, <laughs> you know, wow, but, yeah. That's... yeah. That's something. Um, well, one of the things that I have enjoyed that you've been doing here in in the last, I don't know, maybe four to six months or something like that is that you started to, you know, put out these videos of at-home performances. Kind of, I've, I've dubbed it sort of a bit of like virtual busking where you've, you know, yeah. you played songs and you've, you know, if people want to make a donation, they can, you know, chip in and send a few bucks your way. And you were even, you know, taking requests and stuff throughout that and then posting those in the next uh days and stuff like that so i guess you know has that provided a bit of a fun and interactive outlet for you to just perform in the smallest sense yeah it does yeah i mean it's just it's communicate you know it's, it's another way it's a way of reach being connected with an audience you know yeah yeah it's actually quite a nice way of being connected with the audience really because um you know they just say like oh then i go away and learn how to play this song and then perhaps try to um if they ask for one, I'm saying, uh, and then perhaps try to give it a little bit of my own spin, you know, and then and then send it back, you know, and hopefully they're happy with it. So right, yeah. Well, that's uh, a nice little lead in here because uh, in preparation for this show, we kind of put out the call for people who would want Dan to perform some songs uh, for a small donation, and and uh, we we got some interest and we've got some songs here, so. Dan, should we, I guess, should we mention the songs or should we just have, share your recordings of them? What do you think? Maybe share the recordings first and then, I don't know. <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll come out the other side and, and yeah. maybe talk about them. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll lead into the segment here of Dan's uh, home recordings of four different tracks. Actually, yes, it is four. No, do we have yeah. one more? No, four, it was yeah. four tracks. Yeah, four tracks yeah. that we have of all various styles and artists. <laughs> and uh, so we'll let Dan take it away here and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more with him. I am the dice man and I take a chance, man. Do you take a chance, huh? Chance 
first love Several times I've seen the evenings slide away Watching the signs Taking over from the fading day Perhaps my brains are old and scrambled Several times I've seen the evening slide away Watching the signs Taking over from the fading day Changing water into wine Several times I've seen the evening slide away Watching the signs Taking over from the fading day Oh, 
long time ago. What is me? Uh, yeah. Just in time, I will save the day. Take you to my castle far away. Play the blues. singer, songwriter, bassist, and producer best known for being an original member of the rock band Chicago. All right. Well, we just heard Dan's request set <laughs> uh, <laughs> in that last uh, blo- block of music there. Taking on a few different tracks, we heard The Fall, Dice Man, Junior Chemist, Building a Fort, Brian Eno, Hol- uh, Golden Hours, and Peter Cetera, The Glory of Love. Perhaps one of those tracks stands out to you, listeners. Uh, Dan, of the choices there, let, let's hear it. What, which one had you scratching your head about how you were going to approach it? Um, well, actually, weirdly enough, like any time you try and do the four is, is difficult because you know, obviously, you don't want to try and impersonate Marky e. Smith. You know, no, that's yeah. just. I mean, which you know is any time someone does that, it's just dire so you know like luck thing with that one is because it's a kind of bow diddly type thing you can you know like rock it up a little bit or whatever you know yeah and of course obviously peter satira was a not not what i was expecting but you know i'm I'm very i like things like that i I was very grateful to that lady for asking for that actually (laughs) i like a challenge right (laughs) it is such a moving song you know the glory (laughs) of love you were deeply inspired as you were working on that right as soon as she met as soon as i saw it i was like you know it's one of those songs where you're like i wonder if anybody doesn't know what that is from a certain age group you know as soon as i I, I didn't know it was by him but i'm like i I could hear the the chorus in my head the minute i was it was mentioned so you know (laughs) if i'm not mistaken that song was like a, uh, it was in the soundtrack for like the Karate Kid Two. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah. I think like, like at the youth club I used to go to. You know, oh really? When I was, yeah, they would like you know there was a slow dance that would be the thing that would come on. When I, you know, so, so yeah. it, it brought you back a few years, huh? Yeah. <laughs> not 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 kind of memories I want to read. You're right. Right. Well. <laughs> 
thank you to those who did uh, take part in that and, and yes, donate. Definitely. All that money is passed on to Dan, who I know uh, th- that's helpful to him right now. So, yeah, so. well, in addition to doing the virtual busking, you've also recently started to produce an online you know, radio program or podcast, whatever you want to call it, called Quality Street, which I love. You, you describe it like the, the intro says, and I, I almost want you to say it because I love how you say it, but I'll say it first and I'll let a veritable vignetta of idiosyncratic fetishized sound. Do I have that? Dan, maybe you should yeah. say it because you say it much better yeah, than a I do. veritable vignetta of idiosyncratically fetishized sound. See, much yeah. that sounds so much better coming out of your mouth than mine. So. I, I, yeah, it's, it was, uh, I don't know, I like that that little thing it sort of it does sum up what it is to me in some ways you know yeah yeah well you know i've i've been loving listening to them just fun playlists that are kind of all over the map and you know you've got some theme shows that you've done already and (laughs) and you might even catch uh an unexpected guest uh, on the show now who you know, I'll let I'll just let you listen, folks. You, you want to check these out? Dan goes not. It's not just your straight shooter podcast here. There's some fun, you know, uh, creative twists that you're doing there. So I guess what what motivated you to get into producing programs like that? Well, I would, you know, to be honest with you, I sit around here sometimes. I just, you know, I look at. Well, I haven't had a computer for ages, so I just got a computer game recently. My friend Greg gave it to me, and um. And I was phrased, I was doing everything I was doing on the phone. I didn't have the internet here either. So mm-hmm. I just was doing it, everything I did on my phone. I got a computer and I thought, you know, I look at all these records sitting here and I'm like, why Why do I have all these things? What What use, what good are they doing me? So I thought, well, maybe I should start sharing, you know, these records in some ways. And then right from there, it, it just sort of, other things started occurring to me, you know, like, because mm-hmm. I, I think I just felt awkward about talking really, like in between, you know. So anything that would kind of alleviate that in some way was occurred to me, you know. So I started putting some very bad comedy in <laughs> like that, you know, which I think hopefully it comes over as knowing it's bad and not trying to, <laughs> right. so like you know. Right. So it's just just stuff like that, you know. Like um, yeah, it's just it's just sharing, you know, sharing music, you know. Right. That's not just along one uh, line, you know, like a specialist type thing all the time, you know. Right. I love that you get into like these really obscure 45s and just kind of like thrift store finds and things like yeah. that too, or yeah. that are off the beaten trail. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, you spend all your life looking at records. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't go to record stores anymore, really. I don't, there's not really any around here to go to, but you know, I have for many years and, you know, you just have a relationship with these things, you know, mm-hmm. you get them and, and they're like, you know, these things that you every now and then just have the urge to listen to. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't really, it's not like I hang around with a great deal of people like, you know, here, like going, hey, listen to my record. So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's a way of doing that right. <laughs> without without having friends. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, I, I fully understand where you're coming from here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been doing for radio for a long time, you know, living in yeah, a small yeah. town off the, you know, the, I don't know if any, I think there's more people that uh, live overseas that listen to this radio program yeah. than anybody hears it. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. Well, I asked you about you know transitioning from uh, you know like doing solo recording or to solo recording earlier, but you know interestingly, in the last couple of years, you started one the Dan Melk your band, 
and then mm-hmm. two, the, the Dan Melkier group. I was yeah, like, in, yeah. in such a short amount of time. In fact, there was like three records that came out in one year, in right. 2019, by each of those units. So, uh, you know, of course, there are different musicians involved in those. But how did these projects come about? And I guess aside from like personnel differences, did you did you have kind of a different view of how each of those bands could sound? Is that part of it? Yeah. Because uh, okay. I, um, I went to, um, I played in Columbus once and um, Columbus, Ohio, and um, I had this guy, Elijah, play drums with me, and he was so good, Elijah Vasquez, and I, I thought, well, I have to do something with this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Then his girlfriend is a bass player too, so um, so we all got together. I just flew to Columbus, actually, and just stayed there for like a few days, and we recorded this record in their basement. Okay. That's the group. That's the one Dan Milk your group, and that's okay. just like much more because they're just so solid that their their um way of playing just suggested a certain thing to me, you know. So mm-hmm. and I had to flesh it out with a few things that I did at home, but um, that, 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 but um, you know. And other than that, then I have the the band is just people who live around here. So that's my friend, okay, uh, Clark, and my friend, my other friend, so um, Chris. Is that has that been? fun just to have that as a as an outlet just where it's not like this huge commitment like when you guys get together does it feel like there's a purpose to it like hey we're getting together we're going to pound out these songs in a very compressed period of time and move on from that yes exactly yeah i mean that's the way i like to do things i i I did a recording project like a little while back now that was um just a disaster and that was somebody else's ideas of um how to record that just didn't work for me at all. So, you know, going in the studio and the idea was, oh yeah, just keep playing these songs over and over and over and over again until they're perfect. Ooh. And that's just like, this, this doesn't, you know, it's just nothing in that for me at all. Mm-hmm. So like, um, you know, I went against that and it didn't work out very well. So, I mean, just, you know, you've got to have chemistry, like you meet the right people and you play and you know you can just do it, you know. I mean, because, you know, when it comes to things like rock, I mean, you know, just, you know, what I would call rock. I mean, you know, probably one of my favorite records is like, like flies on sherbet by alex chilton mm-hmm. yeah you know and it's like you know that record is just you know it's barely hanging together at the at the seams you know i mean it's just sort of and that and that's what I, I love you know i love that sound of things happening in real time you know it's like you capture the process and you don't capture the perfection that comes at the end of hours and hours of practicing you know right right i mean that works I mean, obviously that's what certain people need to do like if you're a successful band and you're gonna tour on a record for like five years or something you know that's the stuff you need to do but that's not a position i'm in so yeah right. I, I like to just do things that are you know they're that moment they capture that time mm-hmm. and whether or not that's the thing that ever even happens again i don't know but it's just you get it you know it's more of an idea i think it's more of the idea that people who play you know improvisational music mm-hmm. have it's like capturing that moment it's not that it's right. not something that you then try to replicate every single time you play you know yeah yeah exactly it's not it's not appealing to me so uh, you know well we should maybe bring up two just because in addition to just some of these solo things in these bands i mean you've done countless collaborations over the years i mean too many to to discuss but i mean maybe the the, the longest running one that you keep coming back to is the lloyd pack and you mentioned yeah i believe you mentioned there's another lloyd pack record coming out but i mean that's sort of a project it's a collaboration that you're sort of steering the ship. And then do you just kind of reach out and bring in different people to kind of produce yeah. and record certain parts of it? Is that kind of the gist of how you operate with that project? 
Yes, that is exactly what it is, yeah. I mean, like, the real, you know, I mean, obviously, if Lisa was still alive, she'd be part of it, but, like, other than that, the, the real main kernel of it was me and Russell Walker. Mm-hmm. But he, he wasn't on one of the records, but um, all the other than that, you know, he's on every other one. It's me and him, so... But then there's other people. This this last one, it's only me and him. So okay, yeah. And you it's, guys have done it, stuff outside of it too. You know that you yeah, recorded. Yeah, we, well. we did the LP and a single together as well. Yep. Yeah, he, he you know, it, it's really interesting to do things with him because it's it's another challenge where, like, he can't he hasn't got any fancy studio anything to record on. I mean, not even what I have. You know, like decent microphones and stuff. So he records your stuff on the computer. You know, just talking into the microphone, <laughs> and he sends it to me, and then I make these songs around it. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of great because it just it guarantees that it can't really be, you know, it, it's definitely going to have this off this this strange feeling to it because it's kind of constructed around someone's vocal. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like you know, the timing's a little bit off, you know, but you know, you try to make it as good as you can, and 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 I, and I like really like the quality it has. It's some some you know some of it's my favourite stuff I've done for certain. Yeah, yeah. Another phone pro- I really love, you know. Mm-hmm. Another project uh, is pretty much a one-off at this stage was that contributors record w- that you recorded with the band Spray Paint, which I think yeah. that was a cool one. And you talked about just like, or you've mentioned in the past and a little bit earlier about kind of just playing with like a continuous rhythm or laying something yeah. down and going with that. And I like this one, these have these like real lock groove oh, rhythms. Yeah. That I mean, some of it reminiscent of the fall, of course, but really but, almost Krautrocky too in places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just, you know, I mean, um, I don't know if I even did I even send them anything. I can't remember. I don't, not sure I did. I maybe did send. They they just basically play drones. There's no chord changes in what they play. Mm-hmm. So you know, but you can you can um, impose chord changes over things. You know, so that it's you know, and it's, it's always been an interesting thing to me where you'll impose a chord change over something and it sounds like everything changes with it, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't. And I was writing the words to those songs on on the way there on the on the plane, so. You know, so it's, that was a very yeah, that was a very um, spontaneous. So that's why thing. we that's why we get a song like Airport Girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's someone I saw in the airport. So. <laughs> right. so like yeah, it was um yeah, I think it came out. It was interesting, you know. Well, I think uh, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to finish up with a block of stuff with some of your collaborations and then maybe get back to some of like the, uh, the recordings from your band and group as to wrap up the show. And I thought we'd start off this one here with something from the Lloyd Pack from an album that I, it was the second record that you put out called A Tribute. And I thought maybe this song Itchy Gnomes might be seasonally appropriate because I feel like there, if I'm not mistaken, because it says spring is sprung, is there some allusion to like allergy season within this? Yes, song? That, that certainly is. <laughs> yeah, when I, I when I first got down here, it was brutal. <laughs> I used to have like basically like have a cold for about four months. So. Okay. Well, as somebody yeah. who has seasonal allergies, I was like, Dan, I have to play this song. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, <laughs> good one too. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you, and yeah, uh, we'll definitely still have to try to get you back to. Mankato. Yeah, I would like to do that. Yeah, that would be great. So here is the Lloyd Pack with Itchy Gnomes.
story. Thank you for the scrabble set. I'm sure I can find letter tiles that go with it somewhere. The board is still okay, although it, all its markings have been rubbed off. But I'm sure I can get a replacement board, or just borrow someone else's, and copy the markings and symbols onto the board you sent with a marker pen. Fashioning the letter tile holders didn't present much of a problem at all, as we just went to the local carpenter and got him to knock up a set. It only cost $300. It's true that he made these tile holders somewhat bigger than the usual letter tile holders, but that shouldn't be a problem. We can always use them at seating. Next time the kids have a party. Yours, Colin.
can visit the world's seven wonders and stand in front of all of them in photographs, in photographs, in photographs, yeah, in photographs, in photographs, in photographs. going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. 
to thank Dan once again for taking the time to speak with me this past week and for recording those great cover versions. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase either a physical or digital copy in most cases. I'd also encourage you to check out Dan's newly launched Bandcamp page where he has been adding different out-of-print releases and other unreleased rarities of late. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple weeks with another new episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>